people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen Well, welcome Furst. everybody to Kidney Talk. I'm really excited today because I have Mary Wu on the line with me. And what makes Mary, I mean, I think we're like, you know, soulmates in some way because we were both diagnosed with kidney failure as a toddler. Mary's right out of New York. She's uh, um, here with us today. So welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about when you were diagnosed. Basically, what happened is I was, you know, born, quote unquote, normal kid. And they start, my parents started to suspect that something was wrong, something was up. As, you know, I was getting to be like one, two, because I wasn't really eating, wasn't really moving, talking, all of those basic necessities of life. <laughs> And then um, I was hit with, like, about, like, a hundred and something fever, rushed to the emergency room. And when I was three years old, my my parents were told that I was diagnosed with chronic kidney failure. And my kidneys had basically shut down at that point. Um, no one in my family was a match. As, you know, we all know we can live fine with one kidney. So, you know, my parents were up for grabs. They, want, they didn't hesitate to donate know, the need to donate, like, a kidney to me, but just no one was a match, and um, was on, put on peritoneal dialysis right away, and, um, you know, luck would have it, you know, I had my first kidney transplant when I was six years old. So you were on dialysis from age three to six on peritoneal, huh? Yes, I believe so. Unfortunately, I don't remember the time, you know, I was so young, so I don't remember that time for my parents to give you all the information, but um, I, you know, I was definitely put on right away. Do you remember your first transplant at age six? I don't remember the first, my first kidney transplant, but for me, I just remember life really starting after that first kidney transplant. Like, just doing normal things, going to school, you know, just being with my family, and things like that. I wish I remember that time. And my parents, are always, they always say, eh, you're, you're really better off not remembering that time. Because it was a really hard time. You know, it's, I always say this isn't just my story. It's my family's story. It's domino effect. It infected my entire family. Well, then you went on and just had uh, basically a normal life. But I understand that you had to face kidney failure again and going back on dialysis at age 12. Uh, yeah, what was that I, like? That's I mean, true. Yes, absolutely. Um, my, uh, the doctors, they told my family that my first kidney transplant, it basically was a lifesaver at that point. They knew it wasn't going to last forever. It was, you know, just to prolong life as, as long as you know, possible. And um, there were a lot of, you know, of course, a lot of side effects from the ongoing immunosuppressant medication and all of that. And I still had bedwetting issues, and I prednisone really affected the development of my body, steroid and all that. And um, what happened when I was 11 years old, 
I was rushed to the emergency room. It always seems to happen with emergency room visit. And um, I had an infection in my right foot. I couldn't, you know, and then, like, what happened is they do the normal routine blood test and all that, and they found that I only had 10% function left of the first transplanted kidney. And they were like, well, you need another kidney transplant, obviously. So did you have to start dialysis again, or were you put on the list again? Or did you receive a living donor? What happened is I was prepped for hemodialysis, and I was um, put on the national waiting list in February of 1995. So at that point, I was like 12 years old, and I was very, very fortunate because two months after May 5th, 1995, was my second kidney transplant from a four-year-old donor, and it's now going on my onto my seventeenth year. Wow, that's a. Uh, uh, and yeah. what's your creatinine? It's point eight. Oh well, we're 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 similar in that too. That's pretty exciting. I know. I, I well, eight's a lucky number in Chinese. Oh, it is. Okay, that's 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 a good thing to know because uh, um, you know when when you have a transplant, you know I just had my fourth transplant and it's uh, the first time my creatinine's ever been under two in about thirty years. Because so, awesome. yeah, my awesome. my third transplant, my creatinine was two point two for twenty years. So to wake up after surgery and actually the initial creatinine was point six, it kind of stabled at point eight. It's just an amazing thing. I don't know about you, but one thing that makes me so happy is getting my lab reports and uh, just everything yeah. being normal. And you kind of stress out when, you know, you know something might be off. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. There's all that anxiety, you know, going in to get the blood work. And then, you know, once I get those reports and I, I'm like, oh, you know, keep crossing your fingers and everything, that everything's okay. And then when I, you know, when I get it, I'm like, oh, my God. Woo! Pass it again. <laughs> hey, let's go celebrate and have some phosphorus. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, well, you said growing up this really affected your family. Uh, were there any things that, you know, you'd like to share with people? I mean, you talked a little bit in your uh, winning essay about, you know, just having your, you have siblings. And I know for myself, sometimes um, my, uh, I had stepbrothers and sisters and, you know, but people were very jealous of the attention I received. And sometimes that was hard for them to understand, um, although I, was, I felt I was getting negative attention. Nonetheless, they thought I was getting attention. Did you have any of that happen in your family? Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, I'm ABC, American-born Chinese. So for my parents, they weren't born in the U.S. You know, they were born in China. And so coming here, being hit, you know, thrown into the healthcare world with this other foreign language, if you want to call it that, which I definitely consider it that, um, you know, it definitely took a toll on them and their marriage. They didn't, you know, this, they didn't really have a stable marriage to begin with. So when you have a sick kid, it really challenges the relationship even more, to say the least. And I have an older sister, Amy. She's about six and a half years older than me. And what you're saying about the intention, I mean, I totally relate because I was, I was getting all the attention and, this is not really attention I really want. Not that I can remember that time and all the specifics and details. But um, my sister definitely was out of the loop, felt neglected and left out. And I, you know, I'm very thankful that me and her, you know, we're, we're super close. And she's never held any resentment towards me. She's always been really supportive. 
and great. And that's a lot to say for a kid that had an outside looking in, not really knowing the details and what's going on with my younger sister or what's going on with this or why is dad leaving or mom leaving to take care of my younger sister and all and all of that. So I'm I'm consider, consider myself really fortunate. And unfortunately, two years or three years after my first kidney transplant, my mom, she couldn't really take the toll of my health, and she ended up, she left. And so it, it, I'm not saying that my health, you know, was a catalyst for all of for her leaving, but it definitely was a contributor because it, it takes a lot to deal with that as a parent. And I still don't know how they did, especially coming from another country. So I consider myself lucky to have my dad. Right now, my stepmom, my dad got remarried like over 10 years ago. She's awesome. She's the mom I had. She's the mom that was there for me while I was growing up, actually. Well, that's pretty amazing because, you know, it is. It's the family dynamics that happen around the illnesses. And as you said earlier, it is a family illness. It affects everybody. I, uh, I had a black poodle from age 10 to 28 that was pretty much my lifesaver. My dog hurt everything that happened. And I had similar things, you know, my dad left and my mom and, you know, the crazy dynamics that go around it. But one of the things that, you know, I experienced when I was a teenager, too, I mean, I had my first transplant at 13, it didn't work, and went back on dialysis, had another one at 17, and that didn't work. And what began to happen to me is that uh, I I had like a 10-year-old body and a 40-year-old brain. And I, I, I found it difficult to be able to relate to other people my age because I felt like, you know, I had serious health issues and they were dealing with, does a boy up the street like me? And I'm like, get over it. I mean, you know, you're lucky to live. So it almost created some barriers with me and my peers because I just thought they were so immature. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't say it any better. And I definitely know what you're what exactly what you're saying because I that I still feel like I'm like a six year old or something and um in just like this twenty year old twenty eight year old body because they would talk about all these things because when I had my second transplant when I was a preteen for like the hormones and the puberty and all of that stuff goes rampant and whatnot and um they were just like obsessed about to me like small petty things. It's like, you're lucky that you're alive, you're healthy. I mean, health, I always say now, most important thing, you don't have your health, you don't have anything. You can't enjoy the simple pleasures in life. You can't be with your family or just go outside and just see things a different way when you're about to lose it. And so, I'm so thankful. And I, the way I see it now, and I can say this now, is that I'm really thankful for everything that's happened because it's made me appreciate life and the people in my life all the more and not to obsess about really, really silly things in the big picture of, you know, big picture of it all. Well, adversity does introduce you to yourself, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's quite the truth there, quite another factoid. Well, you know, too, uh, I, I know from... Um, you know, talking to you and saying you're, you're on the smaller side, which I am too. Um, I always like to tell people I'm taller than I look. And when I was probably in my 20s, I'm now in my early 40s, that, uh, you know, and I only wear a size 2 in sh- shoes, so I have to buy children's shoes. My, so my choices are pretty limited. I mean, most of my shoes, if I, if I didn't carefully pick them out, would probably light up when I walk. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it's difficult. So I really can't wear heels. And about at about 
27 or 28, I was working, and I decided, you know, I just can't wear heels anymore because I don't have my foot length is not long enough to wear a heel. And uh, and then one of my coworkers told me, you know, Lori, it doesn't make any difference anyways if you wear a heel or not. I mean, you're still short. And what I learned, though, which was pretty interesting, I learned to use being, you know, on the more petite size to my advantage because people always underestimated me. They never saw me coming. And they always say, oh, you're a cute little girl. And and, and have you experienced that? Oh, yeah. I always say to everyone, I'm vertically challenged. Say it's better to be vertically challenged than horizontally challenged, although I'm pretty horizontally challenged from the front of the So, but I always say, you know, don't underestimate me, you know, because all, all these experiences have made me a whole lot stronger and taller than I look and everything. So... There's a, there's a lot more bite to me than you think. <laughs> you uh, won in our last essay contest. You came in second in our 2010 essay contest. So if anybody's interested in reading that, just uh, type in Mary Wu at kidneytimes.com. And, uh, and then you also have a blog called Confessions of a Kidney Transplant Patient. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, it, chron- it chronicles basically all my health experiences since I was three years old. It was very important for me uh, personally to write this. Just to writing has always been very therapeutic for me growing up, and um, it was kind of an escape, which is kind of funny for me to say that because what I would write would be my feelings, which is more realistic than anything you could possibly imagine. But it was it was there for me. It would listen. I don't know if it makes sense that it would listen to me. Just I could be me when I write and just get everything out in the open without anyone judging me, without even myself judging me, if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, it's very cathartic to write. I mean, it is. I mean, if, you, if you're talented enough to actually put what you're thinking on paper, it's, it, it's like a diary. It, it can slowly heal you. I mean, I, I, when I wrote the book Chronically Happy, uh, and about 70% of the book isn't even in the book because it ended up on the floor. But it was a process because, in addition to kidney disease, we deal with a lot of other stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, especially this. Um, it's an it's an ongoing journey. It really is. And it took me like two years to write this, to get everything out, and just just write, you know, without questioning grammar or you know all the all the details or just to get everything out of me. And then I was battling. Well, do I want to like? I'll publish this, do I want to publish as a book, what do I actually want to do with this? So I said, well, I want to help other people. That's really what I, what I want to do. And I believe that that the way to help other people is to, is to share, because everyone's got a story to tell, and everyone goes through life experiences. And so I decided to post it up as a blog. I just wanted to get feedback first. I mean, we live in the 21st century. We're so fortunate with the Internet and all this stuff. I'm like, let me just post it up. Let me just tell, like, my immediate friends and family and just, you know, just show it to people. And so I launched it in about August 2009, and I was posting a chapter per month, and it chronicles again since when I was three years old. And I just am in awe with the feedback that I get outside of family and friends because it's extended, it's reached out to other people in the transplant community because I'm very involved with the transplant community. I really want to help people and share with people and most of all, let people know they're not alone in this, in this ongoing journey. 
And so um, definitely my goal in, in mind is to publish it as a book, as a hard copy book. But in the meantime, I'm just posting up each chapter, getting everything out. Right now, I'm on chapter 21, where I just wrote about the work world. So within um, the work world, I know that you work at the uh, 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 cancer center. I mean, that must be pretty difficult, but are you able to share your experiences when working with other patients? Well, actually, I've been very fortunate because when I first started working, my parents, they said to me, do not tell anyone about your health experience have to separate your personal life from your professional. And the thing for me is my health has been, it's not who I am, but it's been such a huge part of who I am. And I just couldn't believe just hiding that from people. So, um, you know, eventually I got to work in a cancer hospital. I worked for Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center at one of the regional sites. They have many sites all over New York and, you know, in New Jersey even. And I work um, as the primary chemotherapy scheduler. So I'm in con- a lot of patient contact, um, obviously, and very sick patients getting, obviously, their chemotherapy treatment on a weekly basis, even sometimes daily basis, I see them. And um, recently, you know, uh, through many series of uh, events, um, my supervisor, she learned of my kidney transplant and my health history, not all the specifics, but she, you know, learned about it, and she's like, you know what, you know, you should tell our employee newsletter about your, about your organ donation transplant advocacy, about your book, about what you're doing, and let's have it out there. So I was like, okay, like, I mean, where do you hear about an employer being so supportive about that, especially my first job, they were not supportive, but that's another long story. But with this job, this administrative manager, she's so supportive about it, and the article was recently featured in the June Boy Newsletter, and a lot of people, they had no clue. The doctors that I work with, they had no idea. They were completely shocked. And, you know, I love that. I love shocking people because <laughs> it just shows, like, hey, there's more to chronic kidney failure. There's more to all this. And I'm just me <laughs> doing my right. thing, living my life. Yeah, it's quite comical, you know. They're, they're shocked when... Uh, you know, you've received a transplant or, you know, because they expect people who have kidney disease to look like they're, some people do anyways, think that they're very sickly looking. Yes. Yeah, in fact, one of the doctors, like, doctors said to me, I had no idea. You had, you had two kidney transplants? You don't look like it. And I was, and I said to her, well, what is the person with a kidney transplant supposed to look like? Like, what am I supposed to look like? Am I supposed to have antennas out of my head? Well, I I think they're supposed to stamp a kidney on your forehead when you get a transplant, but they must have missed that step for you. I know, with a nice little kidney bean right there on the nose, right? Uh, Yes, something like that, or, you know, know, we'll have to figure out some solution to identify ourselves. (laughs) Well, you have a lot of uh, great uh, information in your blog, and, you know, are there any mottos that you live by? Oh, geez, where do I start? (laughs) I say do what you do what you fear. Don't let fear bite you in the butt. Do your thing. And I just laugh, be happy, enjoy life, the simple things in life, and just live. Just live life to the fullest and keep giving and, and going out there and don't be afraid because that's what life is not about fear. It's about going at it and doing it and doing your thing. And I'm very fortunate to keep doing my thing thanks to these two gifts of life. 
transplant. Yes, I mean, they, they are such a gift. Um, well, I, I can tell that you're a visionary and you, you look to the future, like what's the future going to hold? And uh, where do you see yourself in the future in a couple of years from now? My book is published. I'm, I'm determined to do that. My book is published and I would love to, you know, create my own like nonprofit organization just about, you know, helping other people. But more than that, just keep, you know, spreading the word about power of organ donation transplantation and to, you know, get rid of those misconceptions and just to show the world and show people that there's more to me than all these health experiences and yet these health experiences have made me stronger and going forward above and beyond. Well, you, you know, you said something earlier that really uh, struck a chord with me because I think we have something else in common. Uh, when I was in 1993, when I had felt better, I'd gotten a transplant, and you know, I was in my you know mid 20s, so I had some energy. I had a job, and my life was going pretty well. I, I thought, you know, how can I help other people who've had the same problem I've had? And uh, you know, that was the creation of Renal Support Network. But the one thing that I really felt that people needed the most with kidney disease is I felt a lot of people were dying of loneliness. And they were dying because of, of just the f fear of not having the same relationships, people treating you differently. Just like you mentioned, you know, sometimes when, you know, they hear you're sick, I mean, when we're transplanted and we're doing well, it's different. But when we're going to the hospital and having, you know, procedure after procedure, I mean, you really do find who your friends are. And when, when I went into dialysis units, and, you know, I was on dialysis from age 12 to 24, and then just recently for about a year, I really saw that a lot of people are giving up because they don't have that joy and they don't have that connection. And, uh, and they don't realize that their story could help somebody else. So, you know, I really commend you what you're doing, and it's, uh, it's needed out there because, you know, one story can inspire somebody else, and maybe a different type of story will inspire another patient. You don't know who you're going to touch. Yeah, very true. I mean, the world is very small. I believe we're all, con I mean, connected not to get too philosophical. And you couldn't, I mean, it's so true that I, you know, I experienced that, you experienced that, especially in your teens, such a tough, challenging time period. And I had never felt so alone and so hopeless. Like, I, I definitely went through those, those motions and emotions of just angry and just bitter and just like, you know, why me? Why is this happening? And, um, you know, seeing other teenagers, you know, going shopping or doing their thing or just complaining over petty things like eyeshadow makeup or whatever it is. And I'd like, be like, I want to do that too. And it, it, it was a very lonesome feeling, especially um, when I had my kidney rejection for my second transplant, but then, you know, managed to overcome that thanks to modern science. And, um, that's definitely something that's always in the back of my mind that I can never forget. And because of that loneliness, because of all those challenges, definitely want people to know that they're not alone. And there is hope. You know, There's hope. For network, ours and hope. There's hope. Well, you know, too, um, uh, and I hope that you can possibly come out next January. I mean, we would love you to come out and... Uh, you know, because we're getting ready to throw our 13th annual RSN Renal Team Prom. And it's pretty exciting because we have about, oh, about 120 kidney teens and their guests, and we have a big old party, and there's teens that are coming from other parts of the uh, U.S. You know, they fly in and they come in, and it, I, I think you would really enjoy it if you could make it because it is. It, 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 it makes me feel like, wow, I can help 
this age group, which was probably my most vulnerable time. And I could have went either way. I mean, you know, I had decisions in my teenage years where I could have got hooked on drugs. And I'm not talking uh, illegal drugs. I'm talking painkillers prescribed to me. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so you had to make those decisions and you had to choose a different life and know that you could overcome it. So, Mary, you're a perfect example of that. And I really thank you for you know, sharing your stories. I follow your blog and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you so much again. It's such an honor and such a pleasure to speak with you. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 